Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, welcome to the Cognitive Telegraph podcast. Um, I'm joined by Mantej Mann, uh, my colleague, and I'm delighted to introduce... Uh, our special guest, Ron Atkinson. Um, good afternoon, Ron. Good afternoon to you, sir. Uh, Ron's got a new book out, Ron Atkinson, The Manager, which charts um, his incredible career, starting out as a, uh, a player, um, an Oxford United legend, uh, as you were, uh, and rising all the way to the top to manage teams like Manchester United, Atletico Madrid, to name just a few, but um, you uh, were particularly interested in your time with Coventry and your association with Coventry players as well, actually, Ron. Um, I mean, you had a spell with um, the Sky Blues in the mid-90s, but um, you had a long association with um, legends like Cyril Regis, um, who obviously started out with it uh, at West Bromwich Albion, and, uh, and also um, Roland Nielsen. But what, what can you tell us about Cyril Regis? What was so special? What did you admire so much about, about Cyril? Cyril... I tell you where Cyril missed out if he missed out anywhere. If he'd have been playing in Spain or Italy, he'd have been an absolute sensation. The way he played, you know, the power, the pace. Um, his biggest problem was, and he always used to, he never scored a bad goal. I know there's no such thing as a bad goal. Every goal he ever scored seemed to be, yeah, you can open the you know, match of the day with or something like that. He was, he was exciting, powerful, great lad. I can never understand the fact he got five caps spread over five years. And I say other players get 50-odd caps that couldn't lace his boots. Mm-hmm. And strangely enough, I went to watch Coventry. I, th- I, t- I actually do remember the game. I think I remember Don McCarthy's manager, Terry Butcher. But I went to watch them play Wimbledon. And I was just about to join the Villa. And I saw Cyril playing. And I honestly thought he was the best player on the field. Yeah. And after, after the end of that season, they released him. And I couldn't believe it. And, you know, so I've got the bill and I said to the big man, why don't you come and do a job for me for a couple of years? And he was brilliant. Mm. Came in, did it right. We had one or two young forwards, Dwight York, Daly and Atkinson. And, you know, he was, he was very, very instrumental in helping them. But a terrific player who never got anywhere near the number of caps he should have got. Mm. There is one little aside to this as well, by the way. I've just remembered. When I was at Manchester United, we had a problem. We knew Alan Brazil's back had gone. Our physio said, you've got to get rid of Alan Brazil. His back's going to go in 18 months. And once again, this is, I'd seen Cyril play, and I'd got all the time in the world for the big man. And I actually set up a deal with Don Mackay. Don Mackay was the manager then, to swap Alan Brazil for Cyril. And then Cyril went and got injured, didn't he? And I, he'd always had a bit of a problem with um, like a hematoma on his leg. And I, it seemed to me, we, I was getting reports that it wasn't a particularly good one, this, that it was, it was worse than normal. We had to do the deal. And Terry Gibson, who'd done ever so well at the time, had scored, I think he got a hat-trick or, or even four against Liverpool, something like that. So what I did, I, to get the deal done, I actually swapped Alan Brazil 
for Terry Gibson. And the Aphasia was right because Alan more or less finished yeah. 18 months later. Terry Gibson didn't quite come off at uh, Manchester United. Uh, but the original deal, the deal that should have happened, and I think it would have been great for him, was Big Cyril. Well, thank goodness you didn't take him. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, another class act that you, you know, uh, uh, you've managed twice, I think, is uh, was Roland Nielsen. Um, first at Sheffield Wednesday, was that right? And then, and then you brought him to Coventry. So yeah. Uh, how did that start off with, with Roland? Oh, Roland, um, I've always said, the be- and I've been gr- lucky, I've worked with some great players and great professionals, and the majority, I can, I can only think... And I won't mention offhand of probably two players I've ever worked with that I wouldn't give the time of day to now. The rest of them have been great lads. Um, but Roland, without a shadow of doubt, I've always said, is the best professional I've ever worked with. Everything he did was right in his build-up. Even, even the way you know people talk about diets and everything like that. He, he, he would know exactly what he was going to eat for that. But he, don't he used get to weigh his food, didn't he? Yeah. But the one thing about him, although he was meticulous and everything, he was a good lad. He, he wasn't like, oh, he's, he, you wouldn't consider him boring or anything like that. Yeah. You know, you go, hey, he's a good lad, Roland. And uh, I think I think we told us uh, tell the story about it. He, he, anything he seemed to turn his hand to, he could do. Man of many talents. And uh, one of the prime examples, and I think I've mentioned this, is we were, when I was at Sheffield Wednesday, we were playing Ipswich, first game of the season, stopped at a nice hotel. There's a bit of a wedding party going on, and all of a sudden, one of our lads, he sees a piano, and one of our lads, Phil King, who we used to call the, the, the Wiltshire Wurzel, my <laughs> King, he's a good lad, uh, So he starts banging away on this piano, it's like as if it's Les Dawson, for instance, the way he used to play it, everything out of tune, and all the boys saying, Kingy, get off there, will you clear up? So we all go into the dining room. Next thing we hear, bit of tuning up on the piano and then we hear some classical music being played and everybody's going who's that so one of the lads nips out and it was actually and I do remember that it was Kingy that actually went out and his comments and I'll tone this down a little bit was Roland is there anything you can't do <laughs> and he, he was he was but it, it wasn't as if he, he went out of his way to be showing off or anything he just did things he was just good at things what he did he was good mm-hmm. at an immaculate player as well, wasn't oh, it? Oh, brilliant. Um, I'll tell you one of the best compliments. I can always remember Gary McAllister, who, by the way, was also a terrific player. Mm. Gary saying, he's the legend. He called him the legend. I mm. mean, that was his nickname at Sheffield Wednesday. Well, the boys yeah. used to call him the legend. And uh, I always remember Gary McAllister, and that's no mean achievement of a player like yeah. Gary called you a legend. quality, yeah. Now you were appointed Coventry City Manager in 1995 and you replaced Phil Neal, who um, I think you've come across before, haven't you? Um, and is it, it's, I guess it's always a little bit awkward, isn't it, when you're sort of replacing somebody who's been sacked? Um, yeah. And that must have been diff- quite difficult. Well, it was, because I, what, how, how I first got to work with Phil, when, when Phil took over at Bolton many years earlier, I had just left United, and my number two at United, Mick Brown, also worked at Coventry with Phil. Mick was going to work with Philip Bolton and got injured in a gardening accident and Brownie was so uh, conscientious and I rang Philip I said I'll tell you what I'll do if you want I'll fill in for Brownie if you want I don't want any wages but I don't want him to lose the job when he's ready 
And they said, yeah, and uh, good, it was good. I enjoyed it, you know, working with the players again. And, and certainly, it was, it was at the time Bolton had a legend in charge of the club, Nat Lofthouse, who was a magnificent man. And after a while, the then chairman at uh, Bolton pulled me to one side and offered me the job. And I went, no, I'm off. And I left. But fortunately, Mick, Mick Brown was ready to step back in. So that was, in fact, my first association with Phil Miller was trying to sign him for Kettering from Northampton. I offered six, mi six million, six thousand quid for him, which was a lot of money in those days. Mm -hmm. And then there was a mix-up. He didn't sign for us, although he was supposed to. And, and he went to Liverpool and I don't know what happened to him. <laughs> I keep reminding him he could have won two conference uh, championships. How he missed that, I know. He was an outstanding yeah. player, wasn't he? But then... It was awkward because the the, the, um, the board of directors at Coventry uh, asked me to take the job. I said, well, Phil's got the job. And they said, well, no, we've made up our mind, we're going. I said, well, first two things. A, if he is going, you've got to settle him up before I come in. And B, why don't you give him, why don't you give him another chance? Just let him... And they said, no, we made up his mind, and if he made up it, and mind if, if you don't come, somebody else will come. I mean, mm -hmm. well, see what happens anyway. And that's what happened. And I mean, later on, two things happened. Uh, one, I, I later found out that I could have gone to Tottenham as manager. <laughs> and, other, and the ironic thing was, I've been at Coventry for two weeks, and I get a phone call from Francis Lee, the oh, chairman of Man City. <laughs> he said, uh, Ron, uh, we want you to come manager here. I said, Frank, I've <laughs> just got the country, I've been there two weeks. And uh, he said, Ron, that's like saying, after being at Wigan Pier, he said, I want you to come out and you behave yourself. <laughs> and he was a mate of Brian Richardson's, the chairman yeah. as well. So, yeah. it was a, a character as well, to say the least. But, um, but when you went to Coventry, and um, you say in your book that, that um, Brian came up with a, a, quite an inventive way to pay you, didn't he? Yeah, when he, uh, when he came to see me, what had happened as well, I'd, met, I'd been at Sheffield, I'd been in Madrid, I'd been, and I wasn't going to, whatever happened, I wasn't going to move. I'd, I'd settled in, in the area here, and I wasn't going to move, and, you know, so that was handy. Coventry, and I think that's what he sold it to me, he knew that that was my thinking on that. So he said, Ron, we can't pay you the sort of salary you've had at the other clubs, Villa and this, that, but, but we'll, we'll do something and incentivise it. And what he did, he put me on, I think the average crowd was about 14,500. And he put me on, I think it was a pound a person over that. And we won a couple of games early on, got a few new players in, uh, created a bit of a thing with, you know, got some good press and that. And the gates were up to sort of 23,000, 24,000. And uh, typical scene, I, and I got Gordon Strachan to come in. as He came in essentially as an assistant manager mm. um, and Gordon came in and uh, a typical scene before a game you know intense little Gordon is he beginning it oh, they're going to play two in the wide one in the middle one in the hole and, all <laughs> <laughs> and I say Gordon behave yourself have a look in that fast stand the six empty seats <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. and the, the thing with Gordon as well he came in and he because Howard Wilkinson had told him at, at Leeds that he was finished as a player so he came in and a couple of days training and I thought, I, said, I pulled him on side, I said, you know what, pal, 
You are better than any player we've got on the books. You're our mm. best player. What age would he have been then? About 37, something like that? He might have been a touch on. Mm. 37, 38. Some I think like he played it. his last game about f at the age of 40, didn't he? I think. No, I think. Did he, did he get some record in the Premiership where he was the oh, oldest yeah. outfield player? Right, right, I think right, Sheringham's right. nicked it now, but something like But, and then. So he said. Um, so yes, you were talking about Gordon. Yeah. So we. He said, oh, "Okay, I'll, I'll I'll play a number of games." And we we selected the games he played in, and the most memorable game of all, uh, we, the game before the end of the season, we were playing uh, Tottenham White Hart Lane, and it was the Tottenham that had what they call the famous five Klinsmann, Sheringham, um, Anderton, Nicky Barmby. And was it Radicherum was the other one? Dimitrescu, I think it was, the other one. The five forwards mm. and Sol Campbell was playing for them. And, and Gordon, absolutely, he was unbelievable that night. It was like a George Best night. He, he ripped Justin Edinburgh. Yeah, I was going to say pieces. he was up against Justin Edinburgh. Oh, he ripped yeah. him to pieces. We beat them 3 1. And that was a relegation battle as well. Oh, aye. Yeah. That, but that, that night That's we were safe. Yeah. We. we uh, we, we beat them three one, and we, we you know safe. But Gordon absolutely tore them, tore them to pieces. And of course we had, we had a mix up. We had some honest toilers, you know, who really at the time weren't weren't real Premier League, uh, Premiership level, but they, they were battlers. Mm. But we had one or two. We had class, quality like like that night at Gordon. We had. Dion, who weighed in, I think he weighed in with a couple that night. And Peter Unlove, who was a mm. trick. Peter Unlove played against Sol Campbell and murdered him on the mm. other flank. Peter Nuddy. How good was Peter Unlove? I thought Peter Unlove was a terrific player. Mm. I remember the first time I, I ever saw him, John Sillett, I think, had uh, been out to Zimbabwe, or Coventry had been to Zimbabwe, and they'd seen him. And he played against us, he must have been about 18 for Coventry when I was at the Villa. And I thought after the game, they beat us at uh, Hypo Road. And I thought, cool, he looks a bit special, that kid. Mm -hmm. And he's one. I'm surprised that none of the, the, the really big clubs are Liverpool and Man United. You know, he, I worked with great wingers, and he could have mm -hmm. he he played in any of the big teams. He was, mm -hmm. a, he was a terrific, terrific player. Mm -hmm. But actually, I mean, he went to Birmingham, and I could never understand what he went to Birmingham, scored a lot of goals. And they, they just didn't use him. Mm. I, I don't know. Hey, just going back to Gordon, I mean, one of your remits once you, you, you sort of got your feet under the table at Coventry was to, to sort of to groom somebody to sort of eventually take yeah. over. Um, but you had three people in mind, didn't you, initially? Um, tell us about those, because I think Gordon was third choice, wasn't he? Initially? No, I wasn't third choice, he was one of the three. Right. You know, because yeah, I, I thought he would be the least available, because right. he was still in Leeds' team, you know, so. Chrissy Waddle, I've always thought, was football fanatic. Ray Wilkins, um, I thought would, would be suitable for the job. And then Gordon came came into the frame because I'd always kept touch with Gordon when I was at Manchester United, and sorry, when, when, I, when I left United and he was at Leeds, we we still kept in touch. And then when it when the, the thing happened with Howard Wilkinson, I thought, well, do you fancy a pop at this? So in effect, although it was from three names, he wasn't. He was never mm -hmm. third choice. He was probably the last to be available, mm -hmm. and he came down, and, and the idea was that he would 
like things like if we had a board meeting I, I'd, I'd get him in there and I'd just sit in there don't, just like a fly on the wall if you like mm -hmm. so you know what how it works if there's a transfer deal you're in on it so you know mm -hmm. so because sometimes players go straight from playing into managing and then all of a sudden there's a lot of things that they, they weren't they weren't mm -hmm. ready for it so in that way he was prepared for it yeah because mm -hmm. top top class players don't always make top class managers do they no 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 um because sometimes the expectancy is that they they possibly think oh you do that because i could do it easy mm -hmm. or something like that mm -hmm. maybe that um yeah. but gordon's was always into coaching and i think he I think when he went to Leeds as well, because he, he worked under Howard Wilkinson, and Howard was always big into the coaching side of it. Gordon was captain at Leeds, and I think that he gave him um, he gave him that sort of background and gave him the license sometimes to take coaching sessions. Mm. So he, it, it wasn't a surprise that Gordon was going to go into coaching and management at mm. the end. Yeah, and just tell me a little bit about Gary McAllison, because you said you thought that you were you were sort of reluctant was it to sign him because you didn't think he was perhaps right for Coventry at that stage I thought he was too good for us right. I mean I know it sounds strange that you know I mean Gary McAllister could have played in any of my best United West Brom Villa teams he could you know he, and would have improved them but when he came I thought anyway he would, if he had gone to Liverpool then instead of coming to us Liverpool would have won the league that season right. Uh, he came to us and I made a mistake. I made him captain straight away. And the lads knew, I felt the lads knew that hey, he got, he'd got a particular friendship with Gordon, um, that he was on a very good wage. I mean, if you don't turn Liverpool down to go to Coventry, do you? <laughs> Unless there's a, an added incentive. And, but he came and he was a great pro, terrific player and then he got injured of course early on but I always felt that he, he was, Coventry wasn't ready for him if you like or if we'd have had three or four other top liners as well that you brought him into that he'd have fitted in perfectly and he played ever so well for us mm -hmm. when he played but you know he was injured but um, mm -hmm. my take on it at the time was we wanted more what I would call not dogs of war that's a phrase Joe, uh, Joe, Joe Royal invented um, but we wanted more premiership quality players mm. but perhaps not of the class that he was at mm. or conversely or we needed more classy players to, to supplement him mm. it was an awkward one for him and it was an awkward one for him as well I felt because I made him captain straight away I shouldn't have done that mm. I should have kept Dan captain Mm. because I think straight away one or two went oh hang on you know is this mm. the chosen one but as a professional as a player didn't have one problem with Gary Gary was Gary was superb and he was um, I think it was another relegation battle when you went to um, Anfield I think you'd moved upstairs at this point but you said to, to Gordon I think that um, uh, you've got a fantastic record as a manager at Anfield and you wanted to go along that, that particular um, day um, I mean, tell us about that. I mean, that was it. Was it a two-one Whelan and Dublin? I think scored. Yeah, I think Dublin got the ninetieth-minute winner. Yeah, made by David James. Right. <laughs> David James did have a bit of a fumble day, yeah. but what had happened? I'd, that wasn't done very well. The 
I was going to move upstairs at the end of the season and I had a problem with one of the directors. I upset one of the directors. It was a, anyway. And then I got a phone call that said they were, they were going to do it midway through the season. So I, I had a meeting with Brian Richardson, Gordon, and I said, well, you've got to put guidelines down. See, I think a director of football works pro done properly. Mm -hmm. I said, but there's got to be guidelines. People have got to say, that's your province, that's your province, that's what you do, that's what you do. And you're responsible for that. And <laughs> Brian Richardson's just said, we sat over a table, and he, Brian Richardson just said, well, you two sort it out between you. I, <laughs> I said, well, I've got to tell you, if Gordon's making all the top decisions, the first thing I'm going to do is ask him for a rise. <laughs> <laughs> But um, it didn't work out properly because it wasn't even spelt out properly, you know. That's. Um, but then when you got back to the little, what had happened? They played, Coventry played West Ham on the, I think the week before and got beat. But West Ham won at Highfield Road, uh, I think three one. I think John Hartson had a particularly good game. And after the game, John Motson rang me up, and Motty said, "Run, you've got to get back in there." The bottom of the league come through. You've got to get back in there because they're going down. And I, I went, well, it's a bit awkward, John. You don't want to tread on people's toes. And I actually then I said to God, I went, to, I went to see God. I said, look, you've got Liverpool. I told him of the conversation I'd had. I said, I think you go, you know, you look as if you could be going down. He said, I think well. I said, well, you've got Liverpool next week. You know, I'm like at Liverpool. I'm like the ogre there. <laughs> I said, well, don't I, you know, I'll just come along with you yeah. if you want. He said, well, okay, yeah, do that. And I went there and said, that didn't matter. We went input on the night before. We had a bit, I got the lads, a bit of a quiz going, a bit of a laugh. And I walked into Anfield, oh, and I went in the boot room before, and Roy Evans is there. And his first, oh, he said, look who's turned up. <laughs> 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 and, so he, was, uh, he knew he was going to lose that night. And we beat them, yeah, yeah. Because we beat them. I, I'm trying to think, I think we played in my time there. We might have played them three times. We beat them when Nuddy got a hat trick. Mm. And I mean, to, to think we went there, when I look at some of the names in our team that night when we beat them 3 1 at Han 3 2 it was at Hanfield, mm. I think, how do you, how do, you do that? Yeah. And I, I think we might have gone there and got a no score draw. Yeah. I think John Phelan played and made his debut on an early game and we got no score draw there. Mm. Mm. But Anfield was always a place yeah. I used to love going there. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. This one of the sort of more difficult times must have been um, the, the day that um, David Booth got that horrific injury at Old Trafford in the former club. I mean, that must have been awful for, for yourself as a manager, but obviously for David, um, and, but also you know for the club at that time. Yeah, I mean, there's two sides to that. It was the first minute, and he actually should have scored. Mm. I don't know if you've ever seen it. He, he actually, it was a great chance, and to this day, I can't explain how it happened. Mm. There was there was people around him, but nobody made any or appeared to make any contact with him, and he went down. And he, I mean, uh, what's his name? The goalie Schmeichel. I think he was being sick on the field. Mm. It was about a nine-minute deal, and big booth, and we still. Whenever I see Boosty now, we have a laugh about it. I go, mm. 
as he walked past and I said, before you start feeling sorry for yourself, you should have scored then, shouldn't you? <laughs> so whenever I see him in future, I said, yeah. you still should have scored. Yeah. But you knew. Yeah. Where is, it was, it was terrible luck. But in a way, it, there was a, a positive side to it. We were playing Manchester United, it was a big highlighted thing. Mm. You've got Cantona there being, you know, whatever. And after the game, I remember going and chatting with Fergie and saying to Alex, like, you know, that looks pretty bad. Then I said, if it is what we think, would you come, you know, bring the team down for a testimonial? Mm. And it coincided with Cantona's last game. Mm. So I think there was something like 25,000 there that night. Yeah. Now, on the other side, if that had happened, say, against Wimbledon, Sellers Park in front of five or six thousand, it wouldn't have got the same amount of publicity, yeah. and you know the, the lad wouldn't have benefited mm. anywhere near. So whilst it ended his career, on the positive side, he you know there was there was big benefits from it. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to talk about um, the more modern day Coventry now. Um, Ron, as you know, Coventry have fallen on hard times in recent years. Can you believe how far they've sunk? No, I really can't. Um, I mean, there's one or two, one or two other clubs of what I call the glass mountain. You know, once they start sliding, they start sliding. And Portsmouth are a prime example. But Coventry, one thing I could never ever understand was why Highfield Road, that I always thought was a, a very very tidy stadium, perfect for Coventry City. You know, they were Coventry City aren't going to get 50,000 people watching them, but being, doing okay, they'd get the 20,000, and I thought Highfield Road was made to measure for that. I thought when they moved away from there to what is a fabulous stadium, the Rico, but I thought that was, they were losing a bit of identity with that, and teams used to sometimes go to Highfield Road and not fancy it. You know, it used to be a tight ground, tight, compact, smart ground, really really tidy when they were when those old ramshackle grounds at all and I think that was the start of it all and then various things at management level and when I say management level I'm not talking about the football manager itself but maybe a bit above him and things like that um, and then when you get on that downward slide and the fact they've had to go and play at Northampton the fact they've had to go and you know Borrow, borrow and play and then share it with the rugby team and the rugby team have made a big success of the place as well which you know might go against the grain a little bit there and there doesn't seem you don't seem to get the if you like the investment or the whatever from above and yet the one thing about Coventry at the level they'll be the highest supported I would bet the highest supported team in, the, in that league this season I think that's I think that's a given. I can't think of anybody will get near them. Um, but I do think now, if if they were to be, if they were to sort of stabilise a little bit, I know Mark Robbins very well. I had him as a kid, and I know his, his virtues. He had them as a player, were being honest and and working hard, and he'll do that. And I actually think this season could well be the start not the rise of the phoenix, but it could be the start again. You know, the upward trend might start this year. Um, you saw it in that um, 
I can't even think whether it's the Johnson's paint van or the checker check trade, checker trade, checker Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, but you saw the amount of support they had that day. Um, Forty-three thousand. Yeah, you know, it's unbelievable. I mean, they're not going to get that for league games. I understand that because they had ninety thousand regulars in what was it, eighty-seven, didn't they? Mm. And they were selling tickets, but. Uh, They'll, they'll certainly get the tens and the 12,000 crowd this season, which at that level is very, well, it's going to be the best. And I, I just got a feeling this year will be the start of an upward trend for them. It, it, it'll take them a long time, I think, to get into the higher reaches, but you've got to start somewhere, and it's got to be now, I think. I don't think they can afford one more year in that division. And the Czech Trade Trophy, I mean, that was against your, your former club, Oxford. Um, did you watch the game at all? Yeah, I did game? actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And, I mean, Oxford went there thinking that Oxford thought they'd win it. Mm. Um, I mean, it's amazing that Coventry should be underdogs against Oxford, if you like. Yeah. Oxford were non-league three years ago again. Um, but you know, there's a there's an example there. Oxford have stabilised in the, the the next division and. That's going to be Coventry's name. Coventry have got to get out of that division this year. And how tough is it to get out of that? I mean, you've played in the lower leagues, you've managed in the mm. lower leagues. I think you got, was it, you got um, Cambridge United promoted from the old um, Division 4, the yeah. fourth division. Yeah. I mean, how difficult is it? I mean, I, I know the game has changed slightly since, since you played and, and perhaps managed at that level, but what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, no, I, I haven't changed that much. If you mm. work hard, I mean, one of the things that would go against Coventry in a funny way is you get a team, I'm trying to pluck one out the, from, from anywhere now, that's going to go and play at the Rico Stadium. And they'll walk in there and go, oh. Forest Green Rovers, for example. Yeah. Or, or Lincoln, just yeah. come up. They'll go, oh, this is nice, isn't it? You know, mm. this is like, it's almost our equivalent of playing at Wembley. Mm. And that might work against them. So they, that's something they've got to overcome. Um, but. There were signs last year in certain games that I saw bits and pieces on television. You thought, yeah, they're not far short. Now, I think the, the, the crowd, the, the fans have been phenomenal, really. I mean, all right, they've had their issues. We're not going to go on support uh, in the home games that we'll go to Springfield Road. Did they go to Crawley and a fantastic guy? Mm. Had a big supporter. Was it well, Crawley? MK like Dons was one of the big ones. A couple of seasons yeah. running, they took sort of six, seven thousand yeah, pounds. Yeah, you which know, is that, that, it is brilliant. Mm. Particularly, they've made the stance of not yeah. supporting the home. But it, it now needs either, and I don't know if you know, obviously it's a touchy subject, but it now needs either a new investor coming in or a new owner coming in. And I've heard reports about the amount of money the club want to sell that you know, they got no chance. Mm. You know, I've heard figures of 40 million being quoted, no chance. You know, you, you can go and buy a championship side for half that. Mm. You know, so you're not gonna get anybody spending that money. So it may very well be that the owners have got to see sense and either say, look, we get rid at a, at a price that somebody can afford and give the, give, give the club back to the people. Mm. I don't mean let the fans run, I'm not saying that, but let the fans see that Coventry City Football Club is going to be for the people of Coventry. 
you know, you, you think of Coventry's, you think of like, all right, the cathedral and things that happened in the, in the war. Then you think of the motor trade. But to an, an awful lot of people, you, you, you talk to Coventry about Coventry and they go, ah, oh, they've got the football team, haven't they? Mm -hmm. Now that to me, that to me is a big PR thing for, for the city. You know, all right, the car, the car is probably the premier thing that's, that's happened in Coventry, but, you know, the football, the football team, particularly when they're in the top flight. Mm -hmm. Now, Mark Robbins uh, came in the back end of last season, couldn't keep them up, unfortunately, but he's, he's sort of, um, he's brought in nine new players so far, and he's bringing in sort of, you know, um, what was missing last season, I guess, is, is experience of the likes of Michael Doyle, you know, who's just yeah. um, helped Portsmouth to the, the title league. Um, so the League Two title and um, players like that and Liam Kelly, another experienced midfielder. And that. I mean, do you think that's that's vitally important when you're trying to sort of get out of that division to have that experience? And, and I think yeah, yeah, I think I think it is. You can't you can't cram your side with that. Mm. But if you've got certain people in there, you you made a point when I was the manager at Cambridge. What I do remember, we had some very good young players. I had a terrific group of sort of. 22, 23, Alan Barley, Steve Spriggs, Alan, people like that. And I signed a boy from Norwich, Dave Stringer, who played about 500 first-team games for Norwich, centre-half. And he, he, he pulled everything together. You know, he was a, he was a good, well good enough player in his own right anyway, but his attitude and all that, and all the, the, the lads fed off that. Now, that's where experience counts. If you can... and. Mark himself has been around that level long enough. You know, I think that's important. The mm. fact that he knows Barnsley, Huddersfield, and people like that. He'll, he'll, have, he'll have worked hard, he'll have done his scouting thing. He won't have played money ball and think, oh, I'll get somebody off the video. I'll go and I'll, I'll watch them. Mm. And that's what you have to do at that level. You have to look for maybe go and watch a non league player or somebody and, and find a snip. You know, well, I thought he's a prime example, wasn't he? Yeah. Leicester. Yeah. People like that, or yeah. Fleetwood winning, yeah. yeah. I just wanted to ask you about Mark Robbins because um, am I right in thinking that he was a young lad when you were at Old Trafford? Yeah, he uh, he came, he, the older boy came there. His father was, I always remember his old man was, he was an inspector in the police and he was always, he was a hard taskmaster. His old man was, he, he used to go out on these, it was sort of riot squads, he'd be at the front whatever you know and I think Mark had he had good values as a kid he'd been brought up right and uh, I think that I think he takes that into his management I would think if Mark Robin said to a player that's what's going to happen that's what would happen mm. you know I don't think there's anything I think what what he's got the players will get uh, but he won't, I don't I can't for the life of me unless he's changed dramatically and he hasn't um I think I think you want the utmost amount of sweat. You want players to virtually give blood for the for mm. the cause. If you like. yeah. Smashing. Thanks, Ron. Thanks so much. And just uh, to remind you that um, Ron's book uh, is available from all good bookshops and um, priced at nine ninety nine. Thanks, Ron. That's been an absolute yeah. pleasure. Thank you very much for joining us on the Copper Telegraph podcast. Pleasure. Yeah.